So good morning to everybody, or good afternoon, depending on where you are joining us from. Thank you very much for um, joining us today, and I would like to welcome you to Capital Link's webinar series. We are delighted to have with us today Dr. Nikos Tsakos, the founder and CEO of Tsakos Energy Navigation, and uh, Randy Gibbons, the head of maritime research at uh, Jefferies. Uh, I'm Nicholas Bornodis, president of Capital Link, organizer of the, web of the webinar, and also uh, we are the investor relations advisor for Tsakos Energy Navigation, and we have the, uh, uh, the great privilege to work very closely with Jefferies uh, and, and Randy. So thank you to both of you for being with us. Uh, I will make a very brief introduction. Uh, as we know, TEN is one of the largest uh, energy transporters in the world, one of the largest independent tanker owners, and a partner of choice for all the major participants in the global energy market. Uh, it has a proforma uh, fleet of 71 vessels, and founded in 1993. It is one of the oldest publicly listed companies, and uh, the company has uh, been listed on the New York Stock Exchange uh, since uh, 2002. Then is known for its prudent growth and for a fleet development strategy that provides cash flow sustainability and visibility throughout the market cycles, while at the same time being able to capture the market upside. And the company has rewarded its shareholders uh, with a steady stream of dividends, uninterrupted stream of dividends throughout the years, irrespective of the market cycle. Then announced uh, first quarter 2020 uh, results, uh, very strong results, coupled with a 50% increase in special dividend. And recently, then announced the contract for the building of up to three Swissmax shuttle tankers under long-term employment. Uh, I, will, uh, I will mention that the discussion today will focus essentially on three topics, on uh, the tanker markets, on uh, TEN uh, itself, and also I would like to remind everybody that Nikos Tsakos has been the chairman of Intertanko 2014-2018, and therefore he has unique insight in the overall industry direction, challenges, opportunities, uh, and so on. So with no more uh, delay, I will turn it over to uh, Randy and Nikos, just to remind you that you can submit questions live through the Q&A function uh, on your screen, and then uh, Randy and Nikos will be uh, picking them up uh, after the discussion, their discussion uh, finishes. So thank you, Randy. Thank you, Nikos. Please go ahead. Randy, you have to unmute yourself. Yep. Hey, thanks for having us, Nicholas. Uh, should be a good conversation here. Nikos, thank you for joining us. Um, so with that, you know, I know some, uh, some people are maybe new to the Chaco story. Some people are um, obviously interested in your background and how you got to kind of where you are today. So if you can just open us up with maybe a two minute uh, run through of, of how you got to where you are today and a quick backdrop of Chaco's energy navigation. Thank you, Randy, and uh, good morning uh, to all of you from uh, sunny Athens. If things were a bit more normal, we would all be here uh, enjoying uh, the after Posidonia events, uh, uh, the Greek big exhibition, uh, seafaring and sea, sea building exhibition. 
but uh, I think that uh, that we will do, and hopefully we will have a chance very soon to see all of you face-to-face uh, uh, -face, uh, without having to wear uh, a mask. Uh, let, let's hope that these days will come, uh, will come soon. Well, uh, 10 is uh, perhaps the longest running uh, public company. It's a company that uh, was established uh, as part of the Chacos group, which is the Chacos family group, uh, going strong for 150 years in seafaring. And you can see one of our oldest ships in the, in the background. Uh, I'm glad to say that in the middle, we have some of the newest ships. So we have renewed the fleet over the years. Uh, TEN started in 1993 after, uh, uh, as a result of the OPA-90, the double-double design, that uh, for those of you old enough to remember, was a huge environmental change in the shipping industry, and that's why we took the company uh, public. Uh, we've been uh, going on for, as Nick Bornozzi said, for four decades. We have been uh, continuously paying a dividend. The company uses the crisis uh, periods uh, to acquire a distressed cheap uh, assets that uh, we either sell or trade very profitably uh, uh, in the future. Actually, this is our fourth uh, fourth crisis. Uh, for those of you that remember between 96 and, uh, and uh, 98, we had the Far East crisis that uh, actually depressed uh, freight rates, but also collapsed new building prices. And that was the time that then uh, started its very vast new building pro uh, program at very low uh, at very low costs. Uh, we enjoyed a little bit of a better market after that, and I think we have a slide for those of you. It's on page four, where you can see. Then we had the, the unfortunate events of 9/11 that really stalled world uh, trade for quite a period of time, uh, and again cr created opportunities. In ten, in every crisis, we see also an opportunity. Uh, of course, then we, we enjoyed the, the good markets between 2002 and 2008, and I think that was uh, uh, the, the bubble burst uh, sometime in 2010 for tankers. And really from 2010 uh, up, uh, I mean, the last 10 years have not been a great period for tankers rates, basically because the market has been absorbing the overcapacity creating, created between 2000 in 2008. Uh, as soon uh, in 2019, we started enjoying a strong market. Uh, the unfortunate events of the virus in February, March, uh, really uh, have, have uh, created another opportunity. We saw rates uh, really uh, going to very high levels in the first uh, part of uh, the six months of, of this year, uh, to more normal rates now. But in that period of time, again, because of the crisis, as you heard last week, we signed the contract for three, uh, for three shuttle tankers at prices 25 to 30 percent lower than what we could have done at the peak of the market. So, uh, what we try to do is a model that we employ our ships long term. We try to buy our ships during the crisis and low cost periods, and then employ them uh, when when the market uh, when the market uh, becomes uh, firm. So that's a little bit. Uh, a little bit of them. We, you know, we've been going uh, strong for all this period of time. However, I have to say that uh, we have in the, in the last year, uh, like most of the tanker companies, but especially ourselves, uh, we, we are disappointed by the performing uh, performance of, of, of our CERT. 
because we are valued as a distressed company where 10 actually is a company going from strength to strength. Great. Well, hey, thanks for that. Uh, we certainly have a lot of questions on Chaco specifically, but before we get to those, let's just look at the market a little bit, right? So crude tanker rates started the year above 100,000 a day for VLCCs, above 50,000 a day for Suez maxes. Those came off, you know, in February, a lot of that was seasonal. And then they ripped to just like all time highs in March and April, floating storage, contango, all of these things. However, you know, over the last, let's call it two months, uh, rates have pretty much fallen on a weekly basis. Um, can you give us a little bit of context about that, about the big rally in March and April, and then the subsequent, you know, reduction in, in May and June? Well, yes, uh, I think uh, everybody was caught uh, completely by surprise. Uh, first of all, I think, uh, you know, we all had to run and make sure that uh, our, you know, our families and our closest uh, to kin uh, were doing good, their associates. So I think that was the first concern during the, the lockdown. And then slowly, slowly it took an effect uh, uh, where the price of oil, uh, I mean, you know, had a, an unprecedented uh, ups and downs. I think we were somewhere, we started the, the year at about $60, if I, if, I remember, uh, if I remember well, and we collapsed to, well, supposedly ne negative figures sometimes sure. uh, sometime in, uh, in April, and uh, you know, we're normalizing back in, in, uh, in the 40s again. So I think we, with, all this, uh, with all these changes, you can imagine that uh, a lot of storage, as you were very well, uh, the Contango and a lot of storage came out. What we did in 10 during those times, when people were coming offering us $100,000 for a six or a three month uh, contract, we chartered uh, a number of our assets for a year at 30 or 40 or $50,000. So today, where the market has, uh, is taking the effect of the overcapacity out there, but it's, but it's changing again to more positive as we saw with the OPEC uh, announcement yesterday, things are starting to normalize and, you know, knock on wood, if we do not have uh, a second wave, which we hope not, uh, things look to be back to where we ended uh, last year in the middle of 2021. Uh, we, we, had, we were touching 100 million barrels of, uh, of demand uh, uh, you know, starting 2020. We all felt very comfortable. Everybody thought that 2020 would be you know, a very nice, positive year. Um, supply of tonnage is um, you know, less, on average, less than 10%, lowest in, in decades. Uh, demand uh, seemed to be going well, and all of a sudden we had this uh, uh, setback uh, by the virus. But as I said, you know, after, in every crisis, we look at an, at an opportunity. I think the worst is behind us. And we were expecting that the market uh, absorbed so much oil that now is enjoying the cheap oil, both in products and in crude. Uh, but we are seeing and uh, that uh, you know, from the third, but most the fourth quarter, things will be normalizing. And I expect rates will not go back to 100,000. But uh, you know, if we can see uh, VLCCs in 50 and 60,000, it will be a very comfortable year for us. Sure. And kind of currently, we're seeing these you know, in the mid to high 30s, maybe uh, Suez maxes are 15 or so, Aframax is under 10, I guess. So what, what is your reasoning for kind of the divergence there, where the larger tonnage is holding in pretty good, you know, well above cash break even, whereas the smaller asset classes are, are a little weaker? What's going on there? Well, uh, as I said, uh, as, uh, as you said, the si size is important. 
a lot of the VLCCs, there's a bigger concentration still in storage on VLCCs. So sure. the demand, uh, the supply of those ships, uh, the demand is, is not uh, equal to the Suez Maxis. The second category on storage is Suez Max. So I think it has to do with the ships that are not, uh, that are uh, participating in, in the spot market. Uh, and that's why the larger ships are enjoying it. Of course, the, the shorter voyages, uh, the, the Aframaxes might have a voyage of 15 to 20 days. So the market turns, the larger ships have voyages of 35 to 60 days. So it's a much longer process before the new rates. And I, I mean, we've seen them, as you said, from 60 to 200,000, down to 30, up to 60 again, uh, back to 30 now. Uh, I think the next one will be closer to 50, I hope, in September. Yeah, certainly all over the place. Um, <laughs> all right, if we switch over to products tankers, obviously you have a very diverse fleet here. What's going on there? You know, there was a record spike again in April and May. Um, also contango and diesel and jet fuel and gasoline and those things. But now currently rates are in the doldrums, right? You're seeing LR2s at 15, LR1s at 10, MRs, some brokers are saying $5,000 a day. So let's talk about that market. What's going on there and where do you see that going the rest of the summer? Well, I think uh, quite, quite similar. And I think uh, all of us, uh, we forget when we were approaching uh, January 1st, it was very similar to the, uh, to the millennium bug. We were expecting the 2020 new IMO legislation to be the real, uh, you know, the real game changer for the market for 2020. It seems so all, all this confusion, which has to do a lot with uh, products being transported, uh, has, been, uh, has been forgotten. Uh, it is true that uh, we had a huge spike in products because uh, we, we saw uh, most of them uh, at very, very historically low prices. So people were out there or buyers of products at very low, at very low levels. I think right now there is a lot of product all over the place. Uh, which uh, is being consumed uh, because of the of the low cost. Uh, it will, I think, by September, October, the trade will start uh, uh, re-erecting uh, it, itself. Sure. And then how would you say... Uh, I mean, in our case, I mean, if you, for those of you that have, have seen uh, our uh, presentation on page three, you see uh, the company's, uh, you know, the company's very diversified uh, fleet. And you see that the majority of our product uh, is trading is trading in uh, in crude. So actually, we have 50, 50 as they call them dirty carriers uh, and 13 products right now. Uh, many of them on long-term contracts. Perfect segue. As you mentioned, long-term contracts. How liquid is that one-year time charter market? Um, and what kind of rates are you seeing for a Suez Max LR all the way down to an MR? for a one-year fixed charter? Uh, right now, the one-year one charter is uh, significantly higher than the spot market, which gives sure. the expectation uh, that everybody uh, you know, expects a very good uh, end, end of the year. So I would say today we could charter one of our Aframaxis in the uh, mid twenties for a year, twenty three to twenty five, depending on the on her size and uh, ice class capacities. Uh, I think uh, twenty seven and a half um, or thirty for uh, for a Suez Max and uh, low teens for the smaller ships. 
Uh, that's that's where uh, one year is. Uh, we are not taking cover for one year. We expect the one year uh, to be an exciting year. We have a significantly, uh, you know, significant cover of our of our vessels. We have right now 30 vessels on uh, on uh, fixed time charters exceeding the one year. Uh, in addition to them, 15 vessels uh, on uh, time charters with profit shares. So 45 out of uh, 70 vessels are on, uh, on some sort of steady income, and the remaining 25 vessels are on the spot market. Uh, what we try to do, and this is our CFO's uh, strategy that has served as well, Mr. Paul Durham, is uh, to make sure that our 45 vessels cover all our, uh, our expenses, our bank debt, uh, and all the requirements for the whole fleet, and the remaining 25 ships work uh, for the dividend uh, to our shareholders. Sure. And then one more kind of demand question, you know, we're, we're hearing already reports around OPEC and how they are going to stick with that kind of production cut curtailment, I guess, going from 9.7 to 7.7 million barrels um, a day in terms of cuts next month. So basically, you're going to see more production next month. How do you see the, that impact on the tanker rates, you know, tanker market? Will we see more fixtures coming out of the Middle East? Um, how do you view that, that headline? Uh, it is a very timely and very welcome, uh, I think, uh, development, and we see it happening uh, at the right time. We already, uh, I think, uh, experience uh, more and more uh, uh, questions and phone calls in our chartered department for business in, in August and mainly for, uh, for September. So I think that will start uh, giving life uh, to the market. I mean, we had uh, a big shock. Uh, we, as a company, we enjoyed the shock and we tried to actually make it last longer by chartering our ships uh, uh, at lower than the peak rates, but for, you know, 18 to two year uh, period. So we're enjoying a very positive cash flow now and the market seems to be coming back again. Okay. And then switching over to the supply side, right? The order books, very low. You still have a lot of vessels over 20 years of age. Scrapping was very high in 2018 pretty weak in 2019 because rates were, were very good and because of all the scrapping that took place in 18. Um, year to date, there hasn't been much scrapping. Obviously rates were phenomenal, right? But also some of the scrap guards were closed for COVID and other things. How do you see those two sides of the coin for supply side in terms of scrapping in subsequent months and into 2021, as well as new build ordering over the next few quarters? Well, uh, I think this is a very, very, I mean, we, we actually, uh, debate this this point uh, on, a, on, on a daily basis. Uh, we do not expect, and I think we have a slide uh, on, uh, on page for those uh, that are uh, following on page 11, 11 and, and, and 12 and 13 on the scrapping. Uh, what, what we are uh, experiencing uh, right now is not so much uh, uh, a new building, uh, uh, a slow new building because of financial only reasons, uh, it doesn't make sense economic, is for technical reasons. And I think this is a game changer. We are seeing right now, it's like being in 19, I mean, you're, you, you were barely born at the time, but it's like being in 19, uh, you know, a, a 90 or 92 uh, at the time that you had that you had the, you know, the unfortunate uh, Action Valdez accident without any knowledge of legislation, what would be the new ship to be built? 
which ended up being the WW design. So right now, no one knows what engine to put on their ships. And that's why people are, uh, are not ordering ships. I mean, you hear a lot of noises of people taking options on uh, dual fuel on, on LNG. I have been uh, through my intertango tenor uh, very much, uh, I would say, negative on, on, on something that uh, we have um, all by now forgotten, the scrubber issue. If you remember a year ago, if we were having this conversation, we would spend more time talking about scrubbers than anything else, which now it seems yeah. like, you know, it's, uh, and I, I have been, and I mean, we did it in our company. We have not installed any scrubbers on our ships, thank God, uh, because it would have been throwing money out of, of the window. And I am not sure that all these discussions about, uh, you know, dual LNG uh, uh, engines uh, will be the answer. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, the actual main engine technology of existing ships uh, will develop soon. So we will have, uh, you know, before the hydrogen uh, uh, design, we will have uh, uh, existing vessels or not existing, existing design ships that will be burning better fuels which will not require more new buildings. That's what I'm getting to. Sure. And yeah, to your comment, you know, I, I was certainly following the tanker market in 1990. Uh, I was only about five years old. <laughs> very, very interested in, in the market. Um, a few quick industry questions for you, right? As you mentioned, IMO 2020, not doing much scrubbers there. Um, how has that changed? You know, what has happened over the last, let's call it seven months? Is IMO as is big of a deal as it was, you know, measured to be even in 20 or hyped to be in 2018, 2019. Um, you know, why'd you uh, basically decide against installing scrubbers? You know, was it the cost? Was it the technology? Was it, you know, a bearish view on fuel spreads? So if you can discuss IMO a little more, both from your Chaco's hat, as well as your intertanko hat. Yeah, well, uh, uh... I think, uh, from my on, on a personal uh, and company note, uh, it had to do uh, with environmental issues. And uh, you know, I, I have been the chairman of uh, Helmepa, which is uh, the Hellenic Marine Protection Association, uh, many many years ago, an association way before its time. Uh, and I could not uh, accept the fact that we are instead of polluting the the skies, we were going to throw in the sea. Questionable. Uh, residuals from from the scrubbers. So I, I mean, our decision was purely based on uh, on a gut feeling that it's not good to throw all this uh, rubbish in the sea. So that that's for us as the company that has been how uh, it has nothing to. We did not even actually sit down to calculate. Uh, my colleagues know that uh, you know when anybody uh, mentioned the scrubber word, even if it made a lot of sense by finance, etc. I did not pay attention to it because I was uh, completely opposite to it uh, environmentally. Uh, and, and that was uh, the decision. Now, 2020, as I said, uh, would have been a great, uh, a great game changer. But we had uh, COVID-19 uh, to compete with in the meantime. So it, uh, it, has been completely, it has been completely forgotten. However, our ships are still suffering huge uh, expenses and losses from the quality of the new, uh, you know, new generation um, cocktail of, uh, of bunkers uh, provided. So, in a sense, I mean, this is in the background, but I have, uh, when I see my technical, uh, you know, 
my, my technical, uh, uh, our chief operating officer in the technical department, they are always uh, very, very mad with what is happening and very upset with the damages. When I was discussing today in the operations meeting, we have four ships that are facing serious engine problems. And this is one of the companies because of poor quality. So it's, it's out there, but it has been completely forgotten because of the, you know, because of the virus. And that, will, that creates delays. I mean, it will create, uh, I think, better utilization in the market because of the delays. Not, not a good reason, but it is there. Yep, yep. All right, two more industry questions before we get to a handful of kind of Chaco-specific company questions. First, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the regulation um, for targets for carbon emissions and other things. The EU, you know, recently announced it wants to include shipping in its ETS, the Emission Trading Scheme. So, as a major ship owner, as former chairman of Intertanko, you know, what do you think about this development, and, and what are your thoughts, maybe, on IMO 2030 or IMO 2050? Well, I I, I believe that the industry is uh, the, the shipping industry, although very few people uh, really appreciate it. It has a uh, it has a bad, uh, I would say, name to it, which is not correct, has always been uh, proactive to changes. Uh, and I, I brought before the example of the OPA, when you were five years old, of the OPA 90. Uh, that was the, the industry without any subsidies, completely within uh, half a generation, uh, changed the whole structure of the ship. I mean, this double-double design, is the biggest design change on, on, on in ships since the you know since since the uh, sales you know you came out from from sales uh, to something like that and it was done without with you know without any big I mean without uh, any governmental participations any subsidies from everybody so the industry always moves correct I mean I, I think we are uh, we are a clean industry. We are the most efficient, economic, and environmentally friendly way to move large quantities of products, uh, be it, you know, wet or, or dry products around the world. And we are going to carry our obligations to the limit. So if we, if, if, you know, I, I do not really have a problem as long as, as it is, a, you know, a level playing field, I don't have a problem of, in participating in, in the new schemes that uh, will be required. Sure. And then in terms of kind of engines, sure. uh, fuel types, availability, all of these things, do you think the fleet will be able to, you know, renew itself, let's call it, in the next 20 years? And is there enough visibility right now for what kind of ships to order? Or is there still pretty much uncertainty and people waiting on the sidelines? Well, I, I, I believe right now that there's so much uncertainty that for the next five years, uh, uh, we will be seeing a diminishing new buildings coming out until a new design of vessel uh, is is acceptable. Uh, I do not see people taking a huge chance on on uh, LNG as a as a fuel. I believe LNG is a good uh, interim solution. But what happened to the interim? It used to be the interim would have been something like 30 more years, and that gives you. That, that covers the life of at least one asset and a little bit more. By bringing things down to 2030, uh, you are changing the goalpost has become so narrow right now that I think, uh, you know, LNG is not, you know, 
I mean, we have all, you know, we like LNG, we, we, we invest in LNG vessels, uh, we believe it can be an interim solution, but it's becoming more and more a question mark than it was a, a year ago. Okay. All right, so we have about 10 questions for kind of Chaco's company specific, and we already have a handful of questions in the Q&A, so I certainly want to leave some time for that. So we'll go through these pretty quickly, but just looking at Chaco's, obviously a very diversified company, you know, unlike pretty much any of its peers, in that you have the crew tankers, the shuttle tankers, the products tankers, LNG carriers, all of these things. So can you discuss that strategy a little bit and what kind of advantages uh, or maybe disadvantages that that kind of fleet diversification um, provides Chacos? Yeah, well, uh, just to give the background, uh, you know, the Chacos Group is a, is, is a ship owning company of, of uh, 150 years. And actually, if you really wanted to be <laughs> diversified, you could include containers, uh, you know, dry cargo ships uh, and, and all sorts, which, which uh, you know, the group operates uh, separately. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say we are a diversified energy uh, company. Uh, our, uh, our model has to do with uh, client-driven uh, operators. We believe that we are, a, a, I would say, a good, uh, a good operator. That's what our, our charterers believe, a big number of our charterers. Uh, and uh, I believe we have a very good cooperation with them. So let's say when a big charter, you know, you know mention anyone, perhaps the, the old name behind here on my, in my screen or anybody would come, they might require an LNG, uh, they might uh, require a shuttle tanker. They like that they talk to the same people uh, on the chartering side. They know, they know the operators. I mean, I have, uh, we have clients that actually would wait uh, and would pay a little bit more, not a lot, because of course charters are not, uh, you know, they're not charities, <laughs> but they would pay a little bit more to get one of our ships because they believe they will get a better service. So that's how we operate, and I think it, 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 it is working well uh, because we are going after long-term contracts that are accrued. We we are not selling ourselves our ship. We have our CFO and uh, our deputy CFOs here who are continuously with their nitty-gritty situation. They do not allow us. Uh, I mean, I get inclined uh, when our charter comes to do more business, but then I, you know, I get I get told off by my finance department that I'm giving, I'm selling very very low, so you know, I have to up up my price. Sure. Uh, and uh, you know, as long as we can get uh, a, a cash to ca on cash return of in excess of 15% in today's very low interest rate, I mean that's our target. And what was that, what was that cash on cash percentage? Sorry. 15%. 15. 15. Okay. So that's, okay. we, we do not do contracts for under, okay, 14, 16, 17, but 15 is where we do. And we do not look at business which does not give us back 20% of the equity invested. So I think this is, these are the deals that we are doing now and we're bringing in the market. We do not do lower deals because otherwise we're subsidizing uh, the big oil companies. And I think they have, they have much, much deeper pockets than uh, we have. Yep, that's fair. And then looking at fleet employment, you know, you are, again, unlike a lot of your peers in terms of your chartering strategy, um, you know, that kind of lets you ride through different cycles, um, it kind of evens out your cash flow visibility and stability, right? So can you touch on that kind of your, your chartering strategy? Do you think that's best in terms of adding shareholder value or in terms of um, your, your cash flow? You know, if you look back, would you have been better suited just to operate in the spot market? 
So what are your kind of uh, reasonings behind that chartering strategy? Well, uh, as I said, uh, you are very correct. I think it's, it's, a different, it's a different model. Right now we have a significant spot exposure with uh, you know, 25 vessels in the spot and 15 contracts with, uh, with profit sharing. Uh, in, uh, I would say if we were only, only, only chartering the spot, we've done this exercise. If we have, uh, if we had chartered only in the spot for the last 28 years that we've been going public, we would have filed for bankruptcy four times so far. If we were only doing <laughs> the spot business, How, but uh, to be fair, we would have uh, been able to achieve a lot of, uh, you know, very much higher market for short periods of time. But, sure. but then we would have to, you know, to, to protect ourselves. Uh, so. Uh, you know, we, we are a long term, and as we say, we believe that, uh, you know, sh shipping is uh, more like a marathon uh, race rather than, you know, than a sprint. So you have to, you know, keep uh, this, uh, your ammunition uh, really there uh, for the difficult days. Yep. All right. And then, you know, on, on the fleet expansion, as, as you mentioned, you have been a proponent of kind of using restraint when it comes to new buildings and, and doing so prudently, you know, responsibly. You are also remembered for a phrase you said at Capital Inc. Um, that I don't want to get the phrase right. That said, you've also ordered several new buildings for Tacos, most of which obviously belong to the charter. But how do you count for this and kind of your fleet acquisition strategy? Well, yes, uh, I think uh, we all miss the Capital Inc. days. Uh, those days uh, that uh, we, we we tended to meet each other on uh, at uh, on, on off off Fifth Avenue. It's been, it looks like ages, and we hope uh, that we will have a chance very soon to see everybody uh, there again. And I know everybody wants to go back to Capital Inc. basically for the coffee breaks yeah, and, and the gossip uh, in the alleyway and uh, then the nice uh, introductions and presentations. Uh, as we said there, uh, we, we have some segments uh, like the VLCCs that I think we will be investing uh, because we are VLCC light. We only have two VLCCs. I think the size of our group should have at least five or six VLCCs when the time is right. So this is something that we will do even without employment. For the other segments, I think we are covered. I mean, we just did uh, uh, a very accretive deal on shuttle tankers. Again, you know, three vessels against uh, long-term employment. These are the business that we, that we will do uh, in, in uh, long in uh, new buildings. Okay, yeah, let, let's talk about that real quick. You know, recently you did the three vessels, long-term employment. Um, you know, the the COO stated accretive growth. Renewal remains a cornerstone of the strategy. Um, give us a little more details around that, around the counterparty. You know, that the term of them. I think you mentioned it was like two. $250 million in backlog, um, but I didn't see anything in terms of, is that five years, 10 years, what kind of options there are. There are. So that's also some questions in the Q&A. A lot of people are kind of wondering about that um, acquisition that you recently announced for the three Suez Max uh, shuttle tankers. Well, yes, as, as you know, the Suez Max uh, or the shuttle, the, the shuttle segment of the business is a very specialized very hard operating business, uh, quite a, you know, a small number of players because it's really 
very demanding and it has become even more demanding with, uh, with the COVID-19 situation where actually uh, when you have, um, I'm going to digress a little bit because one of the biggest problems we're facing right now is not being able to, <clears throat> to change our crew from the ship. The shuttle tankers, which is a very, very demanding operation. So you might operate uh, for three months on a continuous basis. We had the four months on, four months off uh, for, for our seafarers. Now most of our seafarers cannot leave the ship because of the COVID uh, situation. But anyway, uh, this is an issue very important for shipping and we are working to try and, uh, and solve it in, on a separate basis. Uh, we, we, we like the shuttle tanker business. We have invested heavily in, in uh, the infrastructure in the past. So we're very happy to, to, to have this business. It's a minimum of five years with, with options that take it up to 15 years. Okay, so five-year fix and then five-year options thereafter? Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, I had some technical difficulties there. Um, and then on the debt, you know, according to your latest published figures, your net debt to cap is about 46%, I believe. Is there a level you feel comfortable with, you know, that you kind of want to maintain on the debt side? Well, I, I think uh, we, we would even consider if we have long-term employments go as high as, uh, you know, the, the mid-60s. Uh, but I think 50% uh, is, is uh, where we feel comfortable with. But we still have some, uh, some breathing space uh, if we need to expand without having to, you know, using our cash and, and, and conservative debt. Okay. Dividend, you know, many years of quarterly dividends. Now you're paying kind of Randy, Randy, we, we lost, we lost you, I think, physically, and uh, now also your voice. We could hear a little bit of you, but now we hear oh. no evil, see no evil right now, Randy. Sorry, can you hear me better now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Excellent. So yeah, basically asking about the dividend. Right? Five cents a share. Um, losing you, losing you again. There's something. Uh... Okay, can you hear me okay now? Yeah. All right, all right. Um, I don't know what's going on there. I think do not mention the dividend word again. I know, apparently that is the key word that kills everything. Right. 25 cents a share on the split adjusted, 37 and a half cents when you include the kind of for the special dividend here. So how should an investor kind of look at dividend policy going forward? Is there a minimum additional special dividends going forward? Or what is the longer term plan for the dividend? Okay, I, I, actually I did not hear uh, most of your question. I only heard about five or six times the word dividend, dividend, but I will answer so in order not to take too much uh, for us, I mean, we, as you know, who are, you know, we are, or I am, and the management is the largest shareholder in the company with more than 40% um, stake. Uh, we are a dividend paying company. And uh, you know, I think uh, we are trying to uh, place 10 in a way that it can always pay uh, a dividend. Uh, I think our, our aim is to continue and increase uh, the dividend uh, as we go forward. 
Okay, that makes sense. Um, share repurchases, right? That's also been a question we've been getting asked a lot in the Q&A as well, which I'll get to in a second. But looking at share repurchases, how much remaining uh, is your share repurchase authorization? Is this something you plan to pursue you know, more aggressively now with your shares trading at a, I don't know, 40, 50% discount to NAV? Um, it seems the most creative use of cash. Uh, I, 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 I did not, again, would not hear your whole thing, but I, I'm going to talk about share repurchase because I heard that from what you said. I said, since we announced our share repurchase in, uh, in uh, early, early June or late, uh, late, late May, early June, we have uh, invested more than $6 million in uh, the, in, in, in the uh, common share uh, buyback. And on top of that, of course, we are putting aside a significant amount of, of money because we will be replenishing on the 31st of October uh, our, uh, our Series C, uh, uh, almost 9% paying, uh, paying uh, preferred. So I think we are, we are moving. I mean, uh, we are really, uh, we believe our share price is, is uh, you know, right now very attractive and that's why we're buying it. But I think we're also uh, using our cash, uh, put some of the cash aside for the repurchase of, uh, of uh, our preferred, which is due on the 31st of, uh, of October. The company has its building cash anyway. Got it, okay. Um, that, that was the question about the share repurchases. Um, also looking at your liquidity, right? Chakos has always opted to keep that strong liquidity position. I think your latest cash figure is about $220 million. So what's your rationale for keeping such a high cash balance and where do you plan on using it? Well, I, I think, uh, Andy, the, uh, you only appreciate the value of cash uh, when you do not have it. And this is something we do not want to be in a situation to do. Uh, we believe that this is, uh, uh, we, we are a highly capital intensive industry. We need to move forward fast when we need to. Uh, we use our cash, first of all, to operate our ship safely, uh, to pay significant amounts of debt. And I think if you look, we, we pay, uh, you know, close uh, to, we, we have paid uh, close to in excess of $300 million in debt uh, and plus another 15, preferred 350 in the last three years. So we pay debt down by creating shareholder value uh, e even higher. Uh, then the next target is to pay dividend, uh, then renew our fleet, and then do uh, you know, do the buyback. So that's the use of our of our liquidity. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Let's see some of the Q and A questions. I have a few more of my own, but I want to make sure that the, the Q and A um, is also uh, answered here. So. Uh, we talked about the diverse fleet. You know, we have, you know, a, a young investor here who says that their largest position is TNT. So what kind of what investors like this person is asking for is kind of what is your plan going forward about basically bridging that gap between the market value of your shares and the net asset value of your shares? Uh, 
we, I, well, uh, you know, first of all, we want to, you know, to thank him for uh, having such a significant uh, stake uh, in the company. And, uh, you know, I think because uh, at, at 22, it's a, it's a very uh, significant, at any, at any age, but at 22, it, you know, it's, a, it's a significant stake. Uh, we, we are also very surprised about, uh, you know, the, the performance of, of, of our share uh, in this environment. I mean, we, are, we hope we're doing uh, right in operating the company on making it profitable. I mean, we, all I have to say is from what it seems, we, got, we, you know, we had a very good quarter. We, we have a similarly good or better second quarter and the remaining of the year seems very profitable. Uh, dividends will be, I mean, uh, you know, hopefully that will be able to, to change the, the share price, price uh, dynamic significantly. I mean, I believe that the share price should be doubled from what it is today. Got it. Okay, yep. That's fair. And then the, uh, the next question was the reasoning for the reverse stock split. You know, what was the reason behind it, the objective, and are you surprised at how the market has reacted to it? I have to say yes. You know, our the reasoning was that we have uh, we had advice and we have advice from our uh, financial advisors uh, that there is a significant amount of investors that cannot participate in any shares that are under five dollars, and that will significantly increase uh, our presence to other shareholders, more institutional shareholders, and that was the only reason we have uh, we have done that. You know, I was expecting uh, the, the, a positive reaction. Uh, we had only had a couple of you know, good days in the beginning, and now we, we are under the issue price. But hopefully, with the new changes in the industry, we will be above ten very soon. Okay, that's fair. Um, next question is looking at kind of your preferreds, right? I know you bought back some previously. What are the plans on the remaining preferreds, all of which are selling well above um, the common or basically well below the $25 par value? Excuse me? Any thoughts on repurchasing the preferreds trading well below $25 par value? Yes. Yeah, I think our main, our main objective is to buy the obligation, which is... Uh, uh, which is due on the 31st of October, and uh, you know after that we will be looking at opportunities uh, on a continuous basis uh, to reduce our exposure to to the more expensive uh, uh, one uh, perpetual ones. Perfect. All right. Another question. You know, I've got it about six times here, so I just want to make sure the answer was clear in terms of. Um, the re recent acquisition for the three shuttle tankers, you know, they're mm -hmm. even at a, even if they were at a discount, you know, maybe a five, 10% discount of NAV, whereas your shares are trading at a 40% discount of NAV. So in terms of use of cash, why not do share repurchases instead of the acquisitions of the assets? Well, I, I think this is a fair question. I mean, the difference is that we are a shipping company. I mean, we, uh, you know, we perform a service of buying and selling ships. Uh, so this is our first obligation to be a shipping company. Uh, and, uh, you know, we also have a, the 
the, the buyback on our shares uh, as a secondary. And you know, as I said again, our, our target is to operate safely our, our fleet, uh, pay, pay down uh, our, our debt uh, and uh, renew our fleet and uh, buy back uh, when it is uh, uh, so uh, cheap. But uh, if we keep on buying big amounts of our shares, uh, the liquid, we will have a much less liquid uh, share for, for investors. Okay, uh, I think that answered it. Um, now looking at your crew changes, um, this question is about uh, the delays in crew changes. How is that being addressed by, by uh, Chacos and by the industry in general? Well, th this is, this is uh, of, of uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, this, you asked this question because uh, uh, it is uh, ships are not uh, are not uh, unmanned. Uh, they are manned by approximately 20, 20 people seafarers. So we have at any time on board the ships 1,500 uh, humans, men and women, and the same amount of uh, of people on uh, on land waiting to board those ships. So it's a big problem. We have uh, fatigue. For the people on board because uh, you know after six seven eight now we have people that are there 14 15 months so actually it's you know it's like they, they are isolated and being kidnapped and i mean we all of us uh, had to lock down in uh, in our home environments with our you know families and uh, uh, and uh, can you imagine if you have to do this for 14 months uh, without your families and around the world so it is the biggest problem we are pushing governments. There's a lot of complications. I mean, we have charters that might not charter your ships because your crew uh, is suffering from uh, uh, long work fatigue. At the same time, uh, the same uh, nations of these charters uh, will not allow people to, dis to work uh, and disembark and change the crew. So it is uh, actually, we, you know, this, this week we've been fighting this battle. We had the conference with the 20 countries to sit together to agree to allow seafarers to move around the airports uh, uh, and, uh, and make sure that uh, they can go back to their families. And then you have a big amount of uh, hundreds of thousands of seafarers that are impoverished because they cannot go to work. So it, you know, it, it is a significant problem. Sure. Another question here. Uh, investors seem to prefer, to prefer, sorry, pure play tanker companies. You know, we talked about your fleet diversification and the, the, the benefits to it, um, as well as maybe some of the disadvantages. But again, kind of your reasoning around owning the diverse fleet and any thoughts on selling or, or possibly spinning off the product or crude oil tankers, LNG, shuttle into their own unique company? Uh, I mean, as you know, the, uh, during, during the peaceful times of uh, invest on bankers in order to generate fees rightly so they come up with all sorts of ideas uh, i think that uh, you know we, we will stick to the model uh, that uh, that we are operating now uh, because uh, for us uh, it's uh, i think operating actually operating and on hands uh, close to 100 percent efficient and safe uh, fleet uh, is, is as complicated if not more than running a, a big, a different number of, of fleets. So I think we will stick to the model of diversified vessel and fleet in tankers and energy that we have. All right. And what about selling off older assets? Another question. 
this is right now our, our big goal. Um, we're, we're hoping that the market will correct itself uh, in the third and fourth quarter. I think we have uh, a, a, a half a dozen vessels that are sales candidates. As you know, we have shown uh, everything uh, which is uh, uh, everything that was approaching 20 years old. Uh, all are 202 vessels. Uh, now we are, uh, you know, we are uh, down to our oldest. Our oldest vessel uh, is uh, 14, uh, 14 years old. So we are uh, we are looking uh, for selling those ships. So this is a very very important part of our strategy. Perfect. And then uh, another question here on the equity valuation, right? Uh, the plan for boosting uh, the value of PNP stock. And then what kind of benchmarks or valuation metrics do you look at? Is it price to NAV? Is it price to book? Is it price to earnings? Uh, is it maybe EBITDA? Um, and then what, what kind of returns on common equity are really achievable over the next, I don't know, three years? So handful of questions there around your stock, around your valuation, as well as kind of your return uh, on common equity horizon. I think we look at uh, you know we, we look really uh, on a deal-to-deal -deal basis on the return of equity. I mean, you know, we have uh, let's say 10 million of equity to be invested on a ship. We would like this uh, equity on the employment on the foreseeable charter of the ship to earn anything between 15 and 20 percent. I think this is uh, something, and this is something we achieve on the long-term contracts. And as I said, we would like this to be close to 15% cash on cash return. Uh, our cash cost, because the company uh, has uh, the luxury to have very, very competitive debt uh, finance. Uh, is our debt cost is around 4% all inclusive, and that's on the high side. And so, uh, you know, if we if we can net 10% above that, uh, is a, is something that we we are looking. Um, looking to achieve. As far as valuation, I think the best, the best way to look at it is the return on, 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 on equity. Uh, if we continue the way we are looking to continue, I think we might be uh, valued at one times, uh, one times earnings for, uh, for 2020 and, uh, and 2019, which I think it's a, it's a very, very low uh, valuation at any, at any standard, it's illogical. Okay, and, and one market we haven't touched much on is the LNG shipping market. You know, rates there are, are $28,000, $30,000 a day uh, on the spot side. You have a couple of LNG ships. So can you discuss the kind of terms, the chartering terms on those carriers, as well as your outlook maybe for the LNG spot market here over the next few quarters and years? A little on the LNG market. Yes, I mean, LNG being a diversified energy operator, we believe that energy has a, has a role to play in, the, in, in, in our tanker field. However, I was never sold with the idea that LNG is going to be the, you know, the solution for everything. So unlike a lot of our peer group, we, we have not invested uh, heavily in that market. We have followed every development. We are continuously in the market. Uh, and one of the advantages we have for being diversified uh, is that today, uh, you know, we can look at the LNG market comfortably because we have uh, two of our LNGs covered well into the into next year with very very accretive rates, and we are in uh, final 
negotiations for a five to 15 year with option starter for our new, new building LNG. So we are following the market, but we do not, we, are, we do not have 15 LNGs uncharted or unfixed in a poor market like other, uh, other, other companies might have the opinion. Of course, if uh, that market was booming, then uh, you know, we are losing of not being in that. But that is what's helping us for being diversified. We are able to control our risks. All right, and then last question here. Uh, it looks like from the IMO 2020 side, you know, for the VLSFO, you mentioned earlier that you faced some technical issues or even damages uh, due to poor fuel quality. This, of course, obviously creates some cash flow issues and, and maybe worst case, some kind of loss beyond your initial budget. So uh, the question here is, what is your strategy to prevent such cases from happening? Right. I think this, this is a, a very important, I mean, we are putting a lot of effort with our technical team. Uh, one of the reasons of having such, uh, I mean, it was my decision or our decision uh, together with the chartering, uh, to charter all our ships well within 2020, last year, at the time when, uh, of course, no one was considering the, vi the virus, but, but and our biggest problem was what will happen on January the 1st, 2020, with the new with the new legislation. And so that's why you will see that our fleet is well covered before that. So the major in our fleet, the technical issues affect as far as uh, the some repairs are, but all the downtime and some of the repairs we are charging back to the charter because, as you know, on a time charter basis, the time charter is responsible for providing the appropriate bankers for the ship. So we are in continuous discussions with them, and they are covering a big part of those expenses by being on time charter. Perfect. And yeah, you know, the, the technological issues are certainly. Um, real as we saw in the last 20 minutes technology is great when it works right uh when it doesn't it's a little frustrating but um thank you so much for the time if you can just give us some last minute kind of closing remarks um on the tanker market you know people are freaking out destocking these these companies are going bankrupt you know um if you can kind of calm some fears there and then on chocolates right there's some frustration um in the undervaluation of the stock of the performance recently and i'm sure you can you know, echo those sentiments. So if you can just give some closing remarks uh, on the market as well as uh, Chacos, I think that'd be uh, greatly appreciated. First of all, thank you for, uh, for you know, the platform you provided. And uh, if, uh, if someone is uh, most uh, uh, frustrated with the sell price is, is, uh, is uh, myself. Uh, of course, my, my role is not to look at the sell price every single, uh, you know, four o'clock, but to, to try and, uh, you know, create long-term value for our shareholders. Uh, and so I try to balance those things, but uh, we believe that our share price is very, very uh, low uh, right now. Uh, Ten is a company that is going from strength to strength. Uh, we are looking uh, that, you know, we have navigated the stormy waters uh, of um, the first, <coughs> I would say, nine months of 2020 very positively. I think we will come in, be coming out with the results just after as we do uh, every year, just after Labor Day, that I hope are going to be you know, positively positive for in, in, every, in, in every way. 
and by that time we expect the market to be even even stronger. Uh, so uh, uh, I know that a lot of uh, I think one one of the perhaps problems we have is uh, because we are associated as an energy company with the problems that happen when the price of oil collapsed from you know sixty dollars to minus or very little. Uh, but uh, we are actually the energy transporters that uh, you know any any fluctuation on the price of oil is very positive for the utilization of our ships. So uh, I think uh, you know, we are valued as a distressed company, uh, but we are a very solid company right now. And thank you for the opportunity to give me the chance to try and explain this and looking forward uh, for, for better days ahead in a surprise. And I hope everybody stays safe and uh, try to enjoy a little bit uh, what's remaining from the summertime. Yep, absolutely. Thank you again for the time. and. Certainly looking forward to doing this uh, in person soon so we don't have to deal with the technology. But thanks again, and you stay safe and healthy over there as well. Uh, Nicholas Bornosis, I'll, I'll turn it back to you. Well, thank you to both of you. It has been a very interesting discussion uh, across the industry, uh, the sector, the company. Uh, so thank you, Randy. And uh, of course, thank you, Nikos, for making yourself available. Um, I sincerely believe that these in-depth discussions provide a lot of insight and a lot of value to a broader audience. And uh, I appreciate very much the fact that both of you were available to do it. I'd like to remind in closing that uh, there, this uh, uh, webinar will also be available as a replay uh, for anybody who would like to come back and uh, listen to it again or for others who may want to, uh, to tap into it. And. Um, we will be sending to everybody again the presentation. If you would like the, uh, uh, the 10 presentation, please email us at shipping at capitallink.com and we will email a copy to you, but I believe we have already emailed to every participant uh, a presentation already. And again, thank you very much. Let's say stay, uh, let's stay safe, very important. And uh, we we'll look forward to, to the next one. Thank you to both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great summer. Thank you. You too. Bye.